Good morning, Journey Church. It is an honor to be with you guys this morning and on such a special day, your Global Impact Sunday. I haven't been here in a few years. Last time when I was here, you guys were in your old building, so I am completely blown away at what you have done. And in the middle of a pandemic, it's just amazing. God is good, right? And it is so good to see how God is blessing you and how you are using those blessings to reach the world. Well, about a year ago, I came home one day and I found myself locked out of the house. We were living in an apartment at the time and my teenage son was home. I had just talked to him a few minutes before. I told him I was coming home. But when I got home, I realized that he had accidentally locked the one lock that you can only lock from the inside. So my key would not let me in. So I started knocking on the door. He didn't answer. I kept knocking louder and louder, still no answer. So I started calling him and texting him again, no answer. If you're a parent of a teenager, you know that if you don't answer their call or respond to their text within about five seconds, then you'll get a text in capital letters, mom, you know, where are you? But trying to get them to answer, whole nother story. So this went on for a long time. I finally started to get a little worried. It was the middle of the pandemic. He had told me that he might lay down. He wasn't feeling great that day. So I started to worry. So I called my husband who was hours away and he starts calling my son. Again, no answer. I then decide, well, maybe if I knock on my neighbor's door in the apartment building, they share a wall with his bedroom. Maybe they can bang on his wall in case he fell asleep. Neighbors aren't home. So this goes on and on. And the further it goes, the more worried I start to get. So I would say after, I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes of this, my husband says, Noel, I think I know what you need to do. He said, you need to go next door to the fire station and ask them for help. We also lived next door to a fire station at the time. And I have to say, like, part of me thought that that's a really good idea. And the other part was like, that is so embarrassing. Am I really going to go ask them for help? But the mom panic took over. I go over to the fire station. We're all wearing masks at the time. So I have my mask on and I look in and they're all eating together this nice, peaceful meal. And I knock on the door and they come. And as soon as they open the door... I just let all my anxiety out. I become a crazy woman. I was like, oh my gosh, my son, I think something's wrong and you, you have to help me. And in a matter of seconds, an entire mission had formed. I mean, they hopped up from that dinner. They backed the truck out of the garage. They got this huge ladder. They're walking to the apartment building. There's some guy with some tool saying, I can break your door down if I need to. I mean, they had it all figured out. And they took the ladder out and leaned it. We were on the third floor and they leaned it up against the building. And a guy is climbing up to the top, to my, right to my son's window. And right as he gets to the very top, my son peeks out the door on the balcony like, what's going on? I'm fine. Everything's fine. He had just fallen asleep. Like only teenagers can do, right? How do you sleep through all of that? And literally, I think the first words out of my mouth were, I'm going to kill him. (laughs) And then I realized I probably shouldn't have said that in front of everybody. But I remember I was relieved and so mad at him at the same time. But there was the, the guy who looked like he was in charge. I just looked at him and I said, I am so sorry. And I remember he just calmly looked at me and said something like, that's okay. This is what we do. 
And I've thought about that ever since because living next to that fire station, I saw what they did every single day. They were always preparing for the next emergency. They were backing that truck out. They were washing it, cleaning it. They were rolling the hoses out to make sure there was nothing wrong. They were always preparing for that next crisis or emergency that they were gonna be called to help. And why? Because that's their calling. That's who they are. That's what they do. And the same has been true for World Help for the past 30 years. We have been providing help for today and hope for tomorrow around the world. And why? Because that is what we do. If there's anything I've learned about humanitarian work, it's this, is that in order to bring about wholeness in the world, you have to love people wholly. It's what we call help for today and hope for tomorrow. Because we believe without food and medicine and clean water that our bodies need, well then faith, it means very little. But without faith that feeds our souls, everything else is just a short-term fix. But when you focus on both body and soul, that's when true transformation happens in people's lives. And we've seen it over and over again with our partners around the world. They've shown us that when you feed the body, you feed the soul. And when you feed the soul, it allows space for hope to expand and grow. An African head of state once said, you can't minister to dead people. You can't educate dead people. You can't do health care to dead people. You have to have them alive first. And another partner told us that hunger has no religion. And I've seen this over and over again around the world. When you meet someone's needs, when you give them what they need to survive another day, then deeper hungers emerge a hunger for belonging, a hunger for community, a hunger for God's word and his ways. And guess what? Both hungers should matter to us because both hungers matter to God. I love what the message version of 1 John 4, 20 through 21 says about our love for God being tied to our love for our neighbor. It says this, if anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. For our love for God to be real, we have to love our neighbors. We have to love both. You know, a lot has changed. Sorry about that. A lot has changed since World Help began 30 years ago. 30 years ago, I was just a college student helping my dad in this organization he had started in our little three-room office, and I stuffed a lot of envelopes, a lot of envelopes. But in the very early days of World Help, the world was very different. Look at this. 36% of the world survived on a dollar and 90 cents a day or less back then. Today, that is down to 9%. 35,000 children under the age of five died every day from preventable causes. We're talking disease, lack of clean water, hunger. Today, that number has shrunk by more than half. Millions more people have access to God's word through increased distribution and digital availability. 
in the face of so many issues facing our world today, it is really easy to convince yourself that you can't make a difference, but it simply isn't true. I want you to look at these numbers of what World Help has been able to be a part of in the last 30 years, and Journey has been a part of this as well. We've seen over 10 million Bibles distributed, nearly 100,000 churches planted, nearly 1,200 clean water projects, $254 million worth of life-saving aid delivered to people in need, Thousands of babies rescued, a hundred village transformations, so many women set free from trafficking, and so much more. We have seen more than 84 million lives impacted around the world. And Journey Church has played such an incredible role in that. You guys already saw on that great video a few minutes ago, but because of you, the village of La Cedra in Guatemala has been completely transformed. Members of this congregation have gone and rolled up their sleeves and been a part of all of those building projects that you saw in the video, repairs to school buildings, new projects, new classrooms, a church building, water filtration systems for every single family in that village, medical clinic, playground, so much more. You've distributed the food and crucial supplies that that village has needed. You have sponsored nearly every single child in that village, meaning you're giving them food, clean water, a chance at an education, medical attention when they need it. And now you're expanding that work to your new village and Pina Blanca, and you already are well on your way completing a building project and a water project and already on your way to getting those children sponsored as well. And today out in the lobby, you have an incredible opportunity to make sure all of those children receive sponsors in that village too. You've also generously giving to help the refugees like we just saw in that video, making sure they have what they need until they can go home, putting copies of God's word in their hand. Journey Church is changing lives all around the world. I could go on and on, but this progress that we're seeing, those numbers that we just looked at, that's not a reason to stop. That should be motivation to keep going. If there's anything the past two years have taught us is that we don't know what's coming next, right? We don't know what the rest of this year is going to bring. We don't know what 2023 is going to bring. But while we may not know what the next crisis is, we do know this, that that the world may change, but our mission will not. Because this is what we do. I read a devotional It was a series by a guy named Jordan Rayner. It was called Beyond Saving Souls. And he pointed out something in the devotional that I just haven't been able to forget. It has really stuck with me. And it said this, in the gospels, Jesus used the word save or saved less than 10 times. But by contrast, he referred to his coming kingdom more than 150 times. He goes on to say, in our churches today, we talk a lot about saving souls and very little about what Jesus called the kingdom of God. This is startling because it is the exact opposite of what we see Jesus emphasizing in the New Testament. In Matthew 24, 14, Jesus said that it is the gospel of the kingdom that will be preached in the whole world, not the gospel of individual salvation. 
And then he said, the gospel is not just good news for our souls. It is good news for the world. The gospel is not just good news for our souls. It is good news for the world. He goes on to quote Tim Keller, who said that the ultimate purpose of Jesus is not only individual salvation and pardon for sins, but also the renewal of this world, the end of disease, poverty, injustice, violence, suffering, and death. And I love that because in a nutshell, that's why I do the work I do every day. That's why world help exists. And it reminds me of a story of a woman named Dee. You see, Dee was a professional witch for 40 years. And when she wasn't practicing her dark magic, she was persecuting Christians. She admitted that she wanted to wipe out all the Christians in her community. You see, Dee was from a part of South Asia where she was considered the lowest of the caste and untouchable. People were not very kind to her. She had so much hate in her heart. When the pandemic struck, she and her three sons, they lost their jobs, had no way of making money. They had no food. They went three days without food until a pastor showed up on her door. And normally she would have yelled horrible things at this pastor, but before she had a chance, he presented her with a bag of food that the World Health family was able to help provide. And Dee was absolutely blown away. Here's what she said. She said, I never thought of getting support from the people I persecuted, but Christians have reached out to us unconditionally when we needed help desperately. She accepted Christ. She went around telling everyone she could what had happened. Eight new families joined that church. 32 people became new Christ followers. It was just amazing. And it reminds me in the Bible when Jesus would heal someone and they ran around telling everyone they could because they just couldn't help themselves, right? Because when we experience hope and freedom, we bet it all. And we want others to experience that too. Because the gospel should be good news for the world. Last summer, I was in Uganda and I met a group of pastors and church planters who had been praying for years for something so simple. They'd been praying for 10 years for bicycles. You see, they each represent entire counties and regions where they have to reach the people in their churches and in their congregations. And during the pandemic, that became more important than ever. I landed right as they were going into a new lockdown. And in a few days, they had to all go to where they're from and stay there for 42 days. People were already struggling to survive. This was going to make their lives even more difficult. And these pastors needed these bicycles so they could reach their people with that help and hope. And so on that day, we had this big truck of bicycles and I was able to help pull them down and present them to each one of these church planters. And as they received the bicycles, spontaneously, they would throw their arms up in the air and yell, hallelujah, so excited that they were receiving this bicycle. And one after another, they'd come up, hallelujah, hallelujah. 
One church planner told us, we have been walking on foot. Now the work has been simplified and it means God is at work. You boosted it. And as the churches are closing down, we are going to use these bicycles to reach people, to go where they are in their home places. Thank you very much. You are spreading the gospel far from where you are now. God bless you. The gospel is good news for the world. Don't call this a conflict. Don't call it a humanitarian crisis. No, this is a full-blown invasion. This is war. That's what I've learned talking to people on the ground from Ukraine. You see, to them, to call this anything but war is to add insult to injury. It's as if to say to Ukrainians that what is happening is just not that bad. When the truth is the war is raging on and more than 7 million people have had to flee for their lives and leave everything they know behind. I met Marina when I was there a few months ago and driving across the border into Ukraine was a surreal experience, one that I will never forget. We drove to a a large high school because all the schools have shut down at this point. And so this particular high school has become a refugee center. Half of it is being used to make bulletproof vests for the war. And the other half is housing at the time about 230 people, mostly women and children. And at the time I was there, the children were still receiving three meals a day, but the adults were down to one because they just didn't have enough food. I met Marina and her two granddaughters. They had left everything behind. Marina had left her husband, the girl's father. And I found out that they were from an area called Bucha, which might sound familiar to some of you. It's where the atrocities were so bad that happened there that it's been called genocide. And I asked Marina what it felt like to to know that those things are happening in your hometown. And she just started crying. I can't imagine how helpless that must feel. You know, what we have to remember is that while the war becomes a little bit of old news for us, It's not old news for the people living through it. And there is no end in sight. Right now in Ukraine, 40% of people have limited food, water, and shelter. And winter is coming and things are going to get worse. You guys have heard the news, the 300,000 new Russian troops that are being called up. The bombs and airstrikes are happening again. Our partners are back to hiding in their basements. Winter is coming. People are expected to start coming across the border again. It's going to get worse. But it's like our partner in Ukraine said, he said, we are expecting a miracle. We are praying for a miracle. But until that miracle happens, we can do small miracles for refugees every day. So what small miracle can we be a part of? Because here's the thing. I believe history is going to judge us on how we respond to our action or our inaction. And I want to be on the right side of history. I want to be on the right side of humanity. But more than anything, I want to be on the right side of my faith. Because if the gospel isn't good news to those refugees fleeing for their lives in Ukraine, it isn't good news at all. The gospel should be good news for the world. 
We don't hear about it as much, but things in Afghanistan are also getting worse as winter approaches. Right now, 90% of the refugees in Afghanistan can't find enough food to feed their children. 90%. And that result, that is resulting in devastating effects. Many families are so desperate that they're having to make the unthinkable choice to sell one of their children so they can feed the rest of their families. One mom shared, we borrowed money to feed our eight children but could not pay the amount back to the person who loaned it to us, so we had to sell our 10-year-old daughter named Shalzero. My daughter did not want to get married. And yet another father shared, I was forced to sell and marry my small daughter named Manaz, who is 10 years old. She was very upset as she did not want to get engaged at such a young age. She wanted to go to school. And this is the part that gets me. He said, but she did not reach her dream. Can you imagine the kind of desperation that leads you to make that choice? I don't think it's because they don't love their children. But can you imagine having to make that choice just so you could feed your other children? Here's the thing. Even though I lead a Christian humanitarian organization working around the world, I don't believe that God calls us to save the world. I don't believe that God calls us to solve all the world's problems. That's his job. But I do believe that God calls us to join him in his kingdom work, to set the world right, to bring heaven to earth now in our time, to help make things right. Because if the gospel isn't good news for those refugees in Afghanistan, if it's not good news to those little girls who are fearful of being sold and married off, then it is not good news at all. The gospel should be good news for the world. I was in Zambia last year where I met this family living in extreme poverty, a family living in a community that's severely affected by the pandemic. And to be honest, when I met them that day, I just thought I was meeting another family living in extreme poverty and I couldn't have been more wrong. I met Bruce and Malika and their three children and they were standing in front of their modest house. And as Bruce was sharing with us, to me, his house looked like it needed a lot of work and repairs, but you would have never known that talking to Bruce. He spoke with such pride and passion for the life that they had created. It was as if he was standing in front of a castle or a mansion. And he talked about the empowerment center across the street from his home in this community, an empowerment center that the World Help family has been a part of. And he talked about how it had made such a difference in his life, especially during the pandemic, providing them the food and resources that they needed. But it wasn't just the food and resources. He told us how he and his wife had learned about agriculture and farming and solar power and irrigation systems and raising rabbits. And he even had his own water well on his property so his children didn't have to walk across the busy road to fetch water. And he had created this beautiful, sustainable life that was such a beacon of hope and light in this community of what was possible. And that's why what happened next is something I'll never forget because before we left that day, 
his wife Malika came and presented me this little plant. And she asked if I would plant it in front of the empowerment center to commemorate our visit. And it was so small, I didn't even know what it was I was planting, but I found out it was a lemon tree. A lemon tree that would one day produce beautiful fruit. And you see, I read that the early Christians viewed a lemon tree as a sign of hope, hope for the future. And I realized in that moment, it wasn't just about the handouts. It wasn't about the food and resources. It wasn't about the farming or the solar power or raising rabbits. No, it's about hope and how our lives are changed when we have it and absolutely destroyed without it. Because the gospel must be good news for the world. There's a quote that I've always liked by Mr. Rogers. You guys have probably heard it. And he talks about when he was a boy growing up and he would see scary things on the news. His mom would always tell him to look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. You might have seen pictures of the World Help Team, like like you're going to see in a second, on the ground, wearing these vests in a time of crisis or war in Ukraine or after the storms. You might even see other aid organizations when there's an emergency on the news that they're wearing vests like this. In fact, when I drove in this morning, your parking team even wears vests like this, right? Why do we wear vests like this? We wear them because it's a visible sign of who we are and what we do. And to people in need, it's a visible sign of help and hope. You see, today I'm standing in a room full of helpers, of first responders to the greatest needs of the world. And I wish I could give you your own vest to prove it. You're probably glad I didn't. But I wish I could give you your own vest to prove it, to help remind you of who you are and what you do. And of who we are together and what we do together. You know, just a few weeks ago, you had a team on the ground in Guatemala. And RT, one of your team members that I'm sure a lot of you know, He was working the medical clinic, the pharmacy, but not just handing out medicine. No, RT was found down on the ground on all fours, actually putting the medicine on the foot of this Guatemalan mother that had come in needing help. He could have easily just given her the medicine and sent her on her way with some instructions, but that's not who he is. The thought never crossed his mind. No, he wanted to make sure she was completely cared for in that moment, that we could give her the most help in that moment. And you know what? That's who Journey is. That's who you've been on every single trip. You don't just show up to check a box to prove that you care about missions. No, you show up and put your love in action. And you know, whether you have traveled hours by plane and then bus 
and then cattle car to reach these villages and engage with these people and build relationships and help meet their needs. Whether you sponsor a child every month or you're going to sponsor a child today or whether you have chosen to help with this refugee crisis, I don't have time to list all the ways journey is making a difference. But I can tell you this, journey is on the front lines responding with help and hope. And the truth is we could not do this work without you. So my prayer is that God will give us many more years of partnership together so that countless more lives will be changed. Because here's the thing, the world will continue to change, but our mission will not. This is what we Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for the incredible honor of being here today. I thank you for journey. I thank you for every person in this room. God, I thank you for how you are using them here in their community and around the world. And I pray that you will continue to bless them so that they can reach out and help so many more lives. And I pray that everyone here today is challenged in some way of how you can use them to impact someone's life. Not to get overwhelmed by the needs of the world, but to focus in on the one thing that we can do. God, I love you. I thank you for this day in your name. Amen.